0: The Key Economic Releases Affecting Fixed Income Yields Insights into Sectors Influencing Fixed Income Securities How AAM Plans to Capitalize on These Themes for Your Fixed Income Portfolio The Portfolio Fix is a podcast series featuring members of AAM's Investment and Portfolio Management Team. We will discuss the timely issues affecting the fixed income investments of our insurance clients. Welcome to episode nine of the Portfolio Fix, a podcast series from AAM. My name is Patrick McGeever. a member of the investment team. Today we'll be speaking with Sebastian Bacchus about the transition from LIBOR to SOFR. But first, we wanted to provide our regular update on key economic releases with Marco. So welcome, Marco. Thanks, Pat. Um, last week ended on a high note with a healthy jobs report. Um, I'm wondering if you could tell us what you think that number says about the consumer, since that's been something we've focused on quite a bit here over the past couple months.
1: Sure. Uh, Maybe first, just to put some numbers around that report, we saw 266,000 new jobs uh, created during the month of November. So payroll growth here in the U.S. remains relatively healthy. Uh, The unemployment rate fell back down to 3.5%, which is a 50-year low and wages continue to increase albeit moderately Uh, wages were up 3.1 percent year over year so with the um, with current economic growth here in the US being primarily supported by the consumer last week's employment report is very important when considering the overall health of the consumer here in the US Uh, it means more money in consumers pockets available to be spent and really sustaining the uh, strength of the consumer going forward. Now, I think it's important to point out that payroll growth and the unemployment rate are not very forward-looking indicators. Uh, So we're also watching data points like initial unemployment claims uh, and the average work week and both both data points right now are not signaling any signs of concern Uh, with respect to the consumer going forward.
0: Okay, so the consumer remains healthy, economic growth remains decent, at least domestically, and inflation is in check. So um, what does that say about this week's FOMC meeting?
1: Sure. Uh, So again, yeah, with that backdrop of kind of moderate growth expectations, limited inflation pressures, you know, the Fed now has this year cut rates three times, uh, really as a, as a way to provide insurance against some of the downside risks that were posed by uh, trade uncertainties and slowing foreign growth and what we think now the, the Fed will do is take a step back and watch how the data comes in. So we expect the Fed to make no changes at their meeting this week and probably no changes through the first quarter of 2020 unless of course we start to see downside risks begin to increase or or data pointing to weaker economic growth uh, or an unexpected change in inflation expectations
0: okay Um, outside of the fed meeting is there any economic data being released this week that you would find particularly useful
1: well staying on that theme regarding the importance of the of the consumer to u.s growth at the end of this week uh, we'll get a look at the november retail sales report so we'll be looking very closely. Um, there is the expectation here that we may see a very strong holiday sa- sales period, which could push GDP growth for the fourth quarter above uh, consensus forecasts. We'll also get a look at consumer inflation, and but the expectation there is that inflation will remain relatively moderate.
0: Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye on the retail sales number, which is due out later in the week. So thanks a lot for that, Marco. Thank you. Next, I'm joined by Sebastian Bacchus, our senior financials analyst. Welcome back, Seb. Thanks, Pat. You were on our October 1st podcast, uh, but for those who might not have uh, listened to the episode, I wanted to briefly provide your background. Um, You've been with AAM now for almost 10 years, and you've been involved in fixed income investments for more than 20 years. You head up our macro geopolitical team and you're a key contributor to the economics committee. Uh, Your primary responsibility is our senior financial analyst and in that role, uh, you have a great deal of insight into the financial industry's version of Y2K, which is the transition from LIBOR to SOFR. That transition is very complicated and costly, so I was wondering if maybe you can start by letting us know why is the LIBOR benchmark being phased out?
2: Sure. So uh, LIBOR or the London Interbank Offered Rate um, has long been uh, the reference rate for uh, floating rate uh, transactions. Uh, It is the reference rate in over 370 trillion of uh, securities and derivative notional derivative transactions currently. Um, in the wake of the 2008 global financial crisis, uh, the uh, unsuitability of LIBOR as a reference rate uh, became apparent, both because uh, it uh, came to light that uh, it was easily manipulated by the contributing panel of banks And uh, because, increasingly, it was not a relevant and visible benchmark in the market as banks moved away from unsecured interbank funding to pure deposit funding, uh, given the large amounts of liquidity pumped into the system in the wake of the financial crisis.
0: Okay. And um, so what is replacing it? What is this SOFR that we've heard about?
2: So... um, In 2017, uh, the UK uh, FCA regulator uh, announced that uh, LIBOR would officially sunset uh, as of December 31st, uh, 2021. At that point, the LIBOR uh, contributor panel banks would no longer be required to uh, submit uh, LIBOR rates, uh, and the LIBOR is expected to disappear very quickly thereafter. Uh, The reason that such a long lead time was given was so that uh, various regulators around the world could come up with uh, alternative reference rates. Uh, Here in the U.S., uh, our Alternative Reference Rate Committee, which was convened at the behest of the Fed, uh, decided on uh, the SOFR rate as a replacement. SOFR stands for Secured Overnight Financing Rate. Uh, and it is a uh, median of the overnight treasury repo transactions. Uh, that is uh, a rate that the Fed will oversee, calculate and oversee. And they began um, officially releasing that rate in April of 2018. Uh, it is uh, effectively a median of all overnight triparty repo, and DTCC-cleared bilateral repo.
0: <laughs> okay. And what are the biggest distinctions between LIBOR, which is being phased out, and SOFR, which will replace that benchmark?
2: Sure. So I think the biggest distinction is that LIBOR is a unsecured rate at which banks can fund amongst each other uh, on a series of terms stretching from overnight uh, out to one year, Uh, three-month LIBOR being the most common, but one-month LIBOR and six-month LIBOR also being, uh, you know, frequently used as a reference rate. Uh, In contrast, SOFR is uh, purely an overnight rate, uh, and more importantly, it is a secured rate. It is Uh, the rate uh, at which uh, institutions can borrow money collateralized by U.S. Treasury securities. Uh, So whereas LIBOR has an explicit credit risk priced into it, uh, SOFR is effectively as close to a risk-free rate as uh, you can get.
0: Okay, so the term is shorter and it's secured. So, um, Will you or do you expect, all else being equal, SOFR to be at a lower rate than LIBOR?
2: Generally, it should be um, because there you're not uh, getting paid a credit spread. Uh, There can be you know day-to-day volatility in the repo market, such as we saw back in September of 2019, and that's a reflection of supply and demand. Uh, in the repo market for funding uh, and uh, supply and demand of collateral. Uh, But in general, we would expect over time that the uh, SOFR rate would be relatively close to the Fed Fund's target rate and that it should be uh, uh, inside of where LIBOR uh, has sat.
0: Okay. And what are the key risks... uh, what are the key risks f- f- between now and when SOFAR actually is implemented or when the transition takes place?
2: Sure. So, the, the, the two really big transition risks that we see are firstly, uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, close to uh, over 370 trillion of instruments currently outstanding to, uh, that are referencing LIBOR. Uh, While a portion of those will mature in advance of the 2021 sunset of LIBOR, uh, a lot of that will remain outstanding, and that needs to transition, whether through reworking of uh, ISDA language for derivatives, or uh, through uh, recasting of indentures, uh, which reference LIBOR. in order to, uh, you know, recast them using SOFR. Uh, and that, depending on how the indentures are written, will either have to be done through a liability management exercise, a tender, or through an amendment with, typically in the US, 100% consent uh, of holders. Uh, at the same time, uh, the other risk is that While uh, SOFR is the agreed-on new reference rate, uh, it is still not a rate that is commonly used in the market. Uh, The CME, uh, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, has begun offering futures uh, uh, on SOFR, uh, but we don't don't yet have a term curve for SOFR. There's not yet an active swaps market in SOFR, so um, setting... uh, term-based SOFR reference rates uh, has not happened yet, and it's uncertain that the liquidity in the the market allows that to happen before the sunset in 2021.
0: Okay. You know, um, that sounds like a very labor-intensive transition process, Uh, and I can understand maybe why those folks that use LIBOR would be reluctant to adopt a new benchmark. Um, what about the actual banks that provide the benchmark the, I think they're called panel banks. do they are they anxious to transition to this new benchmark or are they content with LIBOR? Uh,
2: the panel banks are probably uh, about the most eager group to see LIBOR sunset. Uh, They have incurred billions of dollars worth of fines for market manipulation associated with their LIBOR submissions, Uh, and as long as LIBOR remains outstanding, uh, they have a lot of residual liability. So I think they and the regulators are probably the two uh, parties most eager to see LIBOR go away. Uh, In contrast, uh, the broader banking sector and financial sector, uh, you know, is approaching this with some trepidation as, uh, you know, lenders, uh, extenders of credit, whether bank or non-bank, you know, have typically used LIBOR and priced uh, using the term structure of LIBOR uh, and and expect that, you know, because LIBOR has a component of credit spread in it, uh, that, you know typically LIBOR will reprice to, um, to reflect greater risk uh, and pay them for their risk, whereas SOFR uh, will typically rally. Uh, and so you know, when uh, greater risk is priced into the market, you won't necessarily get compensated just by the reference rate of SOFR.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. And then lastly, maybe we can wrap up by describing which asset classes will be most affected by the transition? And how are you advising different investment teams here at AAM to get prepared for this transition?
2: So uh, here at AAM, um, the two sectors which will be most impacted are corporate issuers uh, that issue floating rate debt, which is typically LIBOR referenced, and uh, structured Uh, investments uh, that uh, are uh, LIBOR referenced. Uh, What we need to do between now and uh, the sunset, and this is really a a key project for us here at AAM in in the beginning of 2020, is identification of all LIBOR referencing exposures uh, within our client portfolios. Uh, Understanding of whether that exposure will still be outstanding or likely to be outstanding uh, past the sunset. And then a determination of whether there is adequate fallback language within uh, each uh, the indenture of each of these uh, floating rate exposures we have uh, and whether we need to either approach the issuer to see if we can put in fallback language if it isn't uh, in the indenture or uh, if we need to exit the security in order to avoid taking on uh, significant uh, basis risk uh, post-sunset of LIBOR. Uh, In addition, any new securities we buy, we need to assure uh, have uh, the recommended uh, transition or fallback language from LIBOR to SOFR. So that's going to be part of our our ongoing investment uh, process moving forward and our uh, review of the portfolio in 2020.
0: Great. Thanks a lot, Seb, for that update. I think it's a a really important topic. Um, And as we get closer to the sunset period, I think uh, we'd love to have you back on and, and give us an update on how the transition is unfolding.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Pat. Great.
0: And thanks to you for listening to The Portfolio Fix. If you have questions about this or uh, anything we discussed today, please reach out to your portfolio manager or contact our marketing team at aamcompany.com. That's A as an asset, A as an allocation, M as in management, company.com. During our next podcast, Marco will review the economic data points he spoke about earlier. And we will be joined by our insurance strategist, Pete Wurla. We hope you'll join us. Thanks.